This episode is sponsored by State Farm. You a small business owner looking for insurance that fits your needs and budget? Well, look no further than State Farm. State Farm agents are not just insurance providers. They're also small business owners who live and work right here in your community. They understand the unique challenges of running and protecting a small business. When it comes to small business insurance, State Farm knows what it takes. Create a plan that fits your needs and your budget. State Farm agents are ready to help you choose personalized policies that truly understand your business. Ensure your small business with a fellow small business owner. Talk to a State Farm agent today and get started on personalized small business insurance that fits your needs. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. He got me invested in some kind of fruit company. And so then I got a call from him saying, we don't have to worry about money no more. And I said, that's good. One less thing. Live from Joe's mom's basement, it's The Stacking Benjamin Show. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug, and prepare to take a leap into your future. Today, we're talking about the economy, crypto, annuities, and more with financial guru, Rick Edelman. In our headlines, we're talking about the record level of credit balances with Charlie Wise. Plus, we'll throw out the Haven Lifeline to Stacker James, who wants to know if his company's policy on benefits violated his request for reduced work hours. And then, I'll share some protective trivia. And now, two guys who are invested in your future, Joe and O-J-J-J-J-G. And a happy Wednesday to you, Stacker family. Man, we are going to have some fun today. On Monday, we tr- we, man, we brought the inspiration on Monday with Martinez Evans, didn't we, Doug? That was an amazing story. So Martinez. good. Today, we're going to go in the opposite direction. Not that we're not going to be inspirational. We're just going tactical today. We're going to give you the tools you need to get ahead with your credit and to look at lots of different areas of your money. And the guy who's going to help us bring all this goodness stretching out right now across the card table from me, it's Mr. OG. Stretching out across the card table. Uh, yeah, well, <laughs> mentally stretching I, out. That's, I, I, I guess I, uh, I, I guess. Like he's a torch singer at a nightclub. I, need to, I was thinking I need more to... of that, uh, like naked sushi dude. Wait, that's a different thing altogether. I mean, I don't know what naked sushi dude is and I'm not sure I want to know, but, uh, does he smell like fish? you do like look fish? good in that red strapless gown. <laughs> no. Who wants a California yes. roll? I was talking, you were, you were just stretching your arms there and sitting across the card table. We should, we should probably get this thing moving. You know, great show. Rick Edelman, been around a long time. His book, The Truth About Money, forever has been one of my favorite books about money, of course. He was Barron's number one financial advisor a few years in a row. 
And now he's uh, doing whatever the heck he wants to do. OG, just yeah, I was gonna say he's he's retired, but not retired, but not retired because he's here with us. But before all that, you know, Doug, I was thinking that very very succinctly before you before you decide to run for president, I think we should probably well we should probably listen to this. This episode is sponsored by State Farm. You a small business owner looking for insurance that fits your needs and budget? Well, look no further than State Farm. State Farm agents are not just insurance providers. They're also small business owners who live and work right here in your community. They understand the unique challenges of running and protecting a small business. When it comes to small business insurance, State Farm knows what it takes. Create a plan that fits your needs and your budget. State Farm agents are ready to help you choose personalized policies that truly understand your business. Ensure your small business with a fellow small business owner. Talk to a State Farm agent today and get started on personalized small business insurance that fits your needs. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today. Great stuff, Joe. That should bring in tons of money for the campaign. How about we do another one? Well, if you're new to Stacky Benjamins, you may not know that I've tried out a lot of personal finance apps. I like to be a guinea pig and try out all these things. So I know what I'm talking about when it comes to uh, what's helpful and what isn't helpful. And the app that I've used the longest has been Monarch Money. And it's because Cheryl and I, my spouse, were able to collaborate together. We can work on our goals together and our budget and our goals are right next to each other on the app. It is clearly the next generation of personal finance apps. So what is it? Monarch is the top rated all-in-one personal finance app. It gives you a comprehensive view of all your accounts, investments, transactions, and more. You create custom budgets, track progress toward financial goals, and collaborate with your partner. And now, because you're a stacker, you'll get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash Benjamins. I love the fact that we get to collaborate. I love the fact that it's customizable. And I also love that it's this ad-free privacy you can trust. They never sell your data to third parties or show you ads. After trying out Monarch myself, I totally get why it's the top-rated personal finance app. And right now, because you're a stacker, you're going to get an extended 30-day free trial to try it out like I try out many different apps. And this one was sticky for me because, well, you'll see when you try out the 30-day free trial. Go to monarchmoney.com slash Benjamins. That's M-O-N-A-R-C-H-M-O-N-E-Y.com slash Benjamins for your extended 30-day free trial. Well, now the coffers are filling up. We can actually get on with the podcast. Rick Edelman's here. But first, a headline with our friend Charlie Wise from TransUnion. Hello, darlings. And now it's time for your favorite part of the show, our stacking Benjamin's headlines. Our headline today comes to us from TransUnion. This time every year, they take a look at the nation's debt. And, oh, gee, we've got, we got some wild numbers this some. year. Yeah. Listen to this. Credit card balances remain near record highs at $917 billion. That's for the USA. Near 20% increase year over year. Unsecured personal loans up 26.3% year over year. I spoke to recently on a live broadcast on the Fireside app and on YouTube with uh, Charlie Wise from TransUnion about this. Here's what Charlie Wise had to say when I asked him about this, these big, big credit card and uh, unsecured debt numbers. We've seen a tremendous, uh, I'll call it rebound 
in credit card debt. So remember a little, uh, little history time capsule. Early days of the pandemic, when the market was flooded with a lot of government stimulus, enhanced unemployment, and people weren't spending, right? People just were, were home and they didn't, they weren't traveling, they weren't going to restaurants, a lot of excess liquidity. And people did what smart people do is they use that excess liquidity to pay down their most expensive debt, which is usually credit cards and personal loans. So we saw this big trough early on in the pandemic. And then a lot of the stimulus ended. This scary monster called inflation started raising its head uh, mid-2021. And that's when we started to see balances picking back up. For a while, we were saying, okay, they're essentially rebounding from the troughs they've seen, but we've now seen them at a balanced level surpass where they were pre-pandemic in 2019. And we're now essentially at or near record balances. They are down. I will say that we've seen that quarterly dip that we normally see in Q1 came down a bit in Q1 as people normally do. They have their post you know, post-holidays, shopping hangovers, they get their tax refund checks, they pay down their cards. So it's nice to see that seasonality there. That is nice to see that seasonality as Charlie's talking about OG. However, that's a big problem when we're seeing credit card balance numbers higher than we had pre-pandemic. Not a great sign. I agree. And I think a lot of people are using consumer debt as their kind of go-to to solve the inflation problem. I was looking at the JP Morgan Guide to the Markets, which is a free publication that they have. You can just Put into Google JP Morgan Guide to the Markets and they'll come up with all of this data. They say in all total of uh, consumer debt that the U.S. is at uh, 1.2 trillion dollars, which is uh, you know higher. And you know you can kind of see that trough that he was talking about on this chart. What is a little bit encouraging, if there was some encouraging component of this, is that it still is a smaller percentage of disposable income. So while the debt has increased, which is not great, the payments haven't got there yet. And maybe that's just a lag factor. Maybe there's just maybe there's just a period of time here where it just kind of hasn't caught up yet. But percent of uh, debt payments to household income is it's kind of the same as where it was, you know, for all of the 2010s, give or take, not including, you know, that COVID dip. So maybe a little light at the end yeah, of the tunnel. Well, I hope so, but let's not look at the leaves on the tree. Let's look at the root. You know, wow. when Charlie's mentioning that there's heavy inflation, what? You worked on that line for a week, didn't you? Hat tip. No, that was no. poetic. No. Can we all just stop for a minute and appreciate <laughs> that? When Charlie mentions that there's heavy inflation. It's like harps are playing in the background. <sighs> and at the same time, we're seeing these numbers go up. I feel like that's the effect of us not like our credit card is the way that we realize that the numbers are higher, not tracking our spending. It seems like if we tracked our spending, we would know early enough on that things are out of whack, that we wouldn't see our credit card balance go up to this huge degree that with 20%. I mean, that's a big fat number. Yeah. I mean, again, it's kind of a, of what are you really looking at? Yes. It's up 20% year over year, but it was down so much the years prior that their trajectory is very similar to where it would have been without the COVID blip, so to speak. So I'm not as pessimistic about it, but I do think that if you are noticing, and this is where you're going to really notice it in your spending, if you're noticing that you're starting to carry a balance, like a lot of people have over the last year or year and a half, and it's largely because of 
what you're talking about, Joe, not paying attention and just going, oh, I'm still going to go out to eat. I'm still going to go on vacation. I'm still going to shop at the same stores. I'm going to do my thing without seeing how that affects how my cash flow is being affected by these rising costs. You will eventually run out of runway, right? Like eventually those payments will start being such a big number relative to your cash flow that then it will note, you'll notice it. So if you don't normally carry a balance and all of a sudden this month you start carrying a thousand dollar balance, next month you have a $2,000 balance. And the month after that, you have a $3,000 balance. You got to nip that in the bud right then. That's the time to figure it out. Not when the payment's a thousand a month and you can't, and you right. can't cover it. The payment's a thousand a month. Then you're carrying some serious debt. You know, the problem is I think a lot of people do it the way you're talking about. My point was, was that if we tracked our spending, we could get to it even before that. And it's not a difficult thing to do to track how you spend money from month to month and and see it even earlier than you're talking about. In fact, OG Charlie also is positive and we'll link to the YouTube video so people can go watch all of it if they'd like. But he also uh, mentions another fact related to COVID, which was, as you know, companies cut their debt to people with credit problems during COVID times also, because they didn't know it was going to happen. And so you saw people with not very much credit history, people with sketchy credit history, not being allowed credit. What's happening now, they're reopening those areas. So we're seeing actually huge swaths of the population. They're actually able to get credit now when they couldn't get credit for a while during, during the pandemic. We talked about other types of debt as well, OG. We also looked at the mortgage market, and here's what TransUnion and Charlie are looking at in that arena. It is a great time to have a mortgage if you got your mortgage before 2022. Um, (laughs) (laughs) That's what I'll say. You know, as you look at some of the the areas that you called, you know, concerning or maybe alarming, the credit cards and the unsecured personal loans, the reality is that the consumer credit market is dominated in terms of balances by mortgages. And anybody with a mortgage and a decent credit score took advantage of the near zero interest rates and refinanced their mortgage in 2020, 2021, and is right now sitting at sub 4%, in many cases, sub 3% interest rates. So me, who's had a mortgage for pretty much my whole adult life, is now sitting at a mortgage that's not going to change in rate for the next 15 years. That's good news. So what we actually see right now is that on average... If you look at total household debt as a percentage of income, near record lows over the last 40 years. But averages are deceiving, right? Because it's great news if you have a mortgage. There's lots of people out there who are renters instead. Renters don't have that same security. They don't have fixed payments for the next um, 15 years like I do. They're seeing their their rents increase, and that's putting a big, big strain on their wallets. So it's really kind of a tale of two Americas. The homeowners, those that didn't buy in the last six months, are probably doing pretty well relative to where they were before. The people who are renting and the people who are using credit to make ends meet, they're probably struggling. It's very difficult, OG. Somebody who's just uh, getting on their feet financially right now, they want to buy a house. It's so much more expensive to buy a house today than it was before. And to Charlie's point, you know, we're seeing the year-over-year rent increases going up. I like his analogy, the two Americas. Yeah, for certain. I'm super happy that I have a nice two and a half percent mortgage. I, when we bought our house in 2015 and our mortgage was at 4%, I, I couldn't believe it at four. And I thought, oh my gosh, we'll never refinance this as long as I live. And now we're sitting at two and a half, which is probably something we'll never see again, it seems. 
but the, again, the long-term average is somewhere in that five to six range, right? So we're above, we're above that. If you're getting a mortgage right now, you're looking to, to refinance it. And frankly, most people do that anyway. You know, most people are going to refinance as soon as the rates give them an opportunity to do so and free up some cash flow. But I'm also curious how many people do it from the equity pulling out standpoint, right? Like how many people, I wouldn't know how to look this up, but I, but I bet you there's a significant number of people who pull equity out of their house for the sake oh, of pulling equity out of their house. Oh, he did. He did. And he said that, that an issue that's going on right now, OG, is that nobody is doing it because they are afraid of refinancing the house. If they're doing it, he said that they are seeing at TransUnion a segment of the market coming back that very nearly disappeared when rates were at those historic lows. The home equity line of credit is coming back on the map. Because a homeowner, to get yeah. at this record level of equity that people, homeowners have in their homes right now, to get at, they don't want to refinance their house. They don't want to get rid of that. But they they're not going to refinance the primary, right? Yeah, exactly. So they're going with a home equity loan, which is, which is back. Hmm. Yeah. Well, it's encouraging that there's still there. Well, you know, we're still at a spot where the debt service, and I think this is what he talked about. The debt service is still at you know historic lows in terms of the percentage of your debt payments that are part of your income. But by the same token, if you don't pay attention to that, like we were talking about earlier, you know, that snowballs pretty quickly from, you know, a few hundred dollars a month of a payment to all of a sudden it's a thousand dollars a month of a payment. And that's pretty noticeable. And then you add something like a line of credit or a HELOC in there. And what people are finding now is that that really cherry payment that you had for the pool loan or the really cherry payment you had for, you know, whatever fun thing you wanted to buy is adjusting and with it adjusts the interest rate. When the interest rate adjusts, the payment adjusts, and now it's, you know, two, three times as expensive on a cash flow basis. So again, I think what you said at the very beginning of this, Joe, is probably the the best kind of beginning step of this is you have to have a good idea of where your cash flow is going every single month so you can identify where those where those holes are if there's going to be any quickly. Yeah, I think a lot of people have debt. I think having a comprehensive debt strategy where you're looking at all your debt together and how am I going to pay this down? How do I think about this like I'm a company is the way we want to go with this. And we'll dive even more into that at our newsletter, The 201. Tomorrow, stackybenjamins.com slash 201 to sign up for The 201, our free newsletter that comes out Tuesdays and Thursdays. Hey, Joe, that sounds like a great interview. Are we going to have a link to like the full? Can somebody hear the full length interview anywhere and either in the show notes or yes. in the newsletter or nope, you just get what we're sharing with yeah. you and tough. That's it. If you missed the live, <laughs> you're out. Uh, you can go you're to. Out. A, Sucks to suck, as I'm they so say. Glad you, yeah, I'm so glad you brought that up because Charlie, I spoke to Charlie for about 25 minutes and it was a lot more data. And if you're really into all the things credit, uh, Charlie was so gracious with his time. Head to our show notes page at stackybenjamins.com, and Kevin will also have a link in the 201 newsletter. If you get the newsletter, you could just scroll down, you'll see Charlie and I, and click on that link, and that'll take you directly to the YouTube page. The other thing is, too, and I'm glad you brought this up, Doug, which is that TransUnion, like all of the credit agencies, have some phenomenal tools to help you get better at your credit. And they're not, you know, cheesy, come on tools. These people, actually, their clients are not you and me. Their clients are businesses. So I find some great tools and not a lot of, quote, selling happening in the tool areas. But if you go to transunion.com, 
you'll find a bunch of tools to help you get a grasp of your credit. Coming up next, Rick Edelman is a guy who Barron's recognized for several years as the number one financial advisor in the country. He also had a nationally syndicated radio show, The Rick Edelman Show. Of course, people that know Rick and they know his show know that his name is R-I-C, and his last name is E-D-E-L-M-A-N. So they people often joke that if you scrunch his name together, it looks like Rice Delman. So whenever I talk to Rick, I'm like, hey, Rice. And uh, if you know Rick, you know that that's, uh, that's his thing. Rick has a brand new show called The Truth About Your Future. And because of that, we're going to talk to him about a potpourri of topics. I want to talk about the problems with longevity, about annuities, about where he stands on crypto. We pick Rick's, uh, Rick's brain. And as always, I'm sure Rick may have something to say <laughs> as he's, uh, I can hear him coming down the stairs right now. So while he's getting settled in, Doug, uh, give us some trivia. What do you got? Well, stackers, I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug. And I, I know this might come across like I'm a real negative Nancy. I am sick of people copying my amazing life. I caught Todd, that horrible assistant manager down at the Sizzler, browsing El Camino's online. All right, Todd, just because you're pulling down that sweet, sweet assistant manager paycheck doesn't mean you command that kind of power. You know, they got laws for that kind of stuff. Which law? You know, the, uh, that, that one law. The uh, hey, hey, May 31st is a historic day for those oppressed by copycats you know, like me. On this day in history, way back in 1790, the people took a stand against impersonators and established the first federal copyright act in the United States. While Todd's only infringing on my turf, often those copyright cases involve huge sums of money. So let's chat copyright and Benjamins. Here's my question. Remember that Hope poster, which the Obama campaign used after it was created independently by street artist Shepard Ferry? Well, later it came to light that Ferry's design was based solely on one AP photo of the president taken by Manny Garcia. The AP sued Ferry for compensation for the photo, with Ferry arguing that his work didn't diminish the value of the initial photo, but actually enhanced it. Here's the question, who won? Was it the AP or the artist? I'll be back after I change over the laundry, a, a task where Joe's mom says, hope is not a strategy and I should just, quote, get it done. Settle down, Ma. Well, you know what I think about Navy Federal? I think about the veterans that have done so much for our country. And I also think about some of our active service members. want to say a special shout out to uh, my nephews, Colin and Nathan, who are both in the Navy. Colin is stationed outside Seattle, Washington on a submarine. And my nephew, Nathan, is in South Africa as an air traffic controller. And in Military Appreciation Month, Navy Federal Credit Union wants you also to celebrate members, many of whom go above and beyond. Navy Federal offers member-only exclusive rates, discounts, and tools to empower their members and help them reach their goals. It's all branches of the military, veterans, DOD employees, and their family are eligible for Navy Federal membership. They offer 24-7 help from their U.S.-based member service. Visit NavyFederal.org slash celebrate to see all of their Military Appreciation Month offers and other Navy Federal offers. Navy Federal is insured by NCUA, Equal Housing Lender. 
And now a word from our sponsors at Betterment. Do you want your money to dream big? Do you want your money to be a total self-starter? Are you annoyed that your money doesn't work hard enough? Well, don't worry. Betterment is here to help. Betterment's the automated investing and savings app that makes your money hustle. Their automated technology is built to help maximize returns, meaning when you invest with Betterment, your money can auto-adjust as you get closer to your goal, rebalance if your portfolio gets too far out of line, and your dividends are automatically reinvested. That can increase the potential for compound returns. In other words... Your money's breaking a sweat while you can be breaking bread. You'll never picture your money in the same way again. Betterment, the automated investing and savings app that makes your money hustle. Visit Betterment.com to get started. Investing involves risk. Performance is not guaranteed. Hey there, stackers. I'm incomparable and can't be Xeroxed, Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug. And I got to tell you, me and the Beastie Boys, we're not going to take it. Wait, what? Anyway, copying is not only against the law, it violates everything I stand for, which is anti-impersonation. Todd has to realize that we're all unique, just like everyone else. But let's get you today's trivia question on this topic of Benjamins and copyright. Back in 2008, when Barack Obama ran for president, street artist Shepard Ferry created a poster of the future world leader and the word hope. Remember that poster? The Associated Press sued Ferry for compensation because they discovered the artist had based his now famous design on one single photo from AP photographer Manny Garcia. Ferry argued that his poster actually increased the value of Garcia's work, making it more valuable, not less, so he should pay the AP nothing. My question is this, who won the case? While the short answer is that the case was settled out of court, so nobody won, the case is famous because the AP did receive money from Ferry while also admitting that the poster did make the work more valuable. More importantly, all of this would have been avoided if Ferry, the artist, had just attributed his work to Garcia in the first place and paid the, probably much smaller, sum to the AP in the first place. Let that be a lesson, Todd. What lesson? Uh, well, you know, here's the deal. When you go for the El Camino, I mean, um, well, here's the thing, Todd. Okay, um, like, the first point I want to make is, Todd, um, all right, well, I'm not really coming up with anything, but you know what? Let's just forget about the past and focus on the future of your money with today's guest, one of the most recognized former financial planners in the world, Rick Edelman. And I'm super happy he's here with us in mom's basement again, Mr. Rice Delman himself. I, I can't stop doing it, Rick. Rick Edelman's here. How are you? Joe, it's good to be with you as always. It is fabulous to see you again, my friend, and congratulations on... Man, all the stuff going on. But what I'd like to do, Rick, is there's so much going on right now in personal financial planning. You obviously, you know, between the Barron's accolades and heck, I've told everybody, I told you this when we met in uh, Boston at an annuity conference, that your initial book, The Truth About Money, is my favorite book uh, about financial planning. So I just want to pick your brain on some of these hot topics now, if you don't mind. Is that all right? Yeah, sounds great. All right, let's let's start here. Interest rates raised again as we record this a couple of weeks ago. You know, we always see that the economy follows a little bit behind that. There were some people that thought that the Fed might be overstepping, right? We've seen this them go up more quickly, I think, than they have in, in any time in the last 30 years. 
What is this going to do to the economy? Do you think that the people, our stacker community needs to watch out that maybe the economy might have some some drag coming that we're not seeing yet? I'm not sure if we're not seeing it or we just don't want to acknowledge it. Mm. Everything is incredibly obvious, I think, what's going on right now. Yet the markets are shrugging it off. My biggest concern is real estate. The high interest rates are, I think, setting the stage for a real problem. And it's all a result of COVID. You know, we, we all know painfully well what has happened over the past five years from pre-COVID through COVID, now post-COVID. Yeah. And what it all means is that we took interest rates down to near zero levels. Huge numbers of real estate developers obtained loans to develop property, to refinance their existing properties at these very low interest rates. Well, now many of those loans are coming due and they have to be refinanced at today's interest rates. So that 1% loan, 2% loan you got is now a 5 or a 6% loan. And that means the monthly payment is skyrocketed. And at the same time, because of the aftermath of COVID with everybody working from home, a third of US workers are now working remotely. Office buildings are empty. Companies are realizing they don't need that space. That means two things. One, companies that have leases are letting them go. And new companies are not interested in replacing those rents. So the landlords are discovering that the rental income has dried up. At the very moment that they have to refinance their loans and they don't have the loan income, they don't have the rental income to pay off that, that payment. So the landlords are in trouble. And this means we're going to see a massive number of defaults. They're going to hand the keys of those buildings back to the banks that provided the loans. The banks are going to discover that the properties aren't worth what they were worth before. They're only worth 60% of what they were worth before, maybe even less. And this is going to force the banks to mark to market. This has not yet happened, but it's going to. All of the owners of that real estate, pension funds, endowments, institutional investors, private equity, venture capital, they haven't marked to market in their portfolios yet either. Non-traded REITs, they haven't marked to market yet either. Yeah, yeah. And so all of this is coming in the next few months. It's going to be terrible news for those who are the current owners of those properties, the investors in the funds of those properties, the banks that have lent to those properties. This is bad news for all of them. It'll be eventually good news for new investors who will be able to buy these properties as a vulture fund at pennies on the dollar. We saw this in 2008. It was really, really ugly. Eventually, it all worked out. Look how great the economy and the markets were through the 2010s. But it was really ugly from 2007 through 2009. And that's kind of what we're the storm we're entering right now. Uh, how much of that is already priced into the market? I'm not sure. So far, the markets will tell you they've priced it all in, which is why the stock market has not dropped. It's why the market dropped last year 30%. That's when they priced it in. So the fact that we may be headed to a deep recession, markets tend to anticipate recessions. And so the markets fell last year before the recession. As the recession hits this year, the markets will emerge quicker. So it's hard to say exactly what's going to happen over the next few months. And oh, by the way, Joe, we haven't even talked about what's happening in Washington with the debt ceiling. Right. right. Is the government going to shut down compounding all of this problem? Will treasuries default? 
And if that happens, what will be the domino effect on money market funds? Uh, are they going to all break the buck in June or July? I mean, this, there's so much uncertainty in the markets right now. And yet I find that many people are simply not paying a whole lot of attention to any of this or they're discounting the negative results that all of this could occur. I also feel like, Rick, that's the reason why every time we meet, I feel like our hairlines look more and more similar because we worry about this stuff. Uh, Sorry about that. (laughs) It's all right. Uh, No, we're the cool guys, right? I want to flip over to another area in financial planning, the place where you and I, the one time we met face-to-face, of course, was at this, I, I thought it was a great attempt at MIT for all the people that are interested in the problems of financial planning around longevity to get together and work through them. And boy, some of the fights we saw between people on the media side, people like you and Michelle Singletary and the annuity companies were much needed, like these, these back and forth battles. Have annuities gotten better since that time that we met? I think it was back in 2017. No, they haven't, uh, sadly. I don't know if it's because they don't think there's a problem that needs solving or that they haven't figured out how to solve it or that the market isn't pressuring them to come up with a solution. I think, frankly, it's a little bit of all three. Uh, So I think it's worthwhile, Joe, if we remind everybody of what we're talking about here. MIT's Age Lab put together an event and invited me to speak, um, and you were there, and there were CEOs of some of the biggest annuity companies and insurance companies in the country who were there. Uh, several members of the media, such as our friend Michelle Singletary from the Washington Post. Gene Chatsky was there. Um, and the reason I was invited and the reason I agreed to go, I mean, I know, I know Joe really well, who's the head of the MIT's Age Lab. I'm pretty deep, as you know, in the longevity space, uh, recognizing at MIT and Stanford's Center on Longevity and the Milken Institute's Center for the Study of Aging. Everyone studying this stuff is pretty much in agreement that If you're alive in 2030, you're likely going to be living to age 100. This is shocking. This has never happened in human history. And so we have to evaluate if we're going to live to our 90s and hundreds, is today's financial, economic, and social structure designed for that? The answer, of course, is no. Social Security, when it was built in 1935, you were supposed to be dead by 65. Annuity products today generally assume actuarially that you'll be dead in your 80s. What happens to pension funds and annuity contracts and Social Security when people start routinely living into their 90s and 100s? These systems were never designed to pay so much money to so many people for so many years. And that is why a big reason why I've been a big critic of annuity products, because they're setting up a lot of people for failure with a, I think, misleading sales pitch. That sales pitch is, put your money into this annuity contract, we will give you income for life. Yeah. Well, if your life is to age 85, they will honor that contract. But what if your life is to 95 or 105? I don't think the annuity companies are going to be able to make those payments because they aren't getting the rates of return. They aren't recognizing how many annuitants are going to be living that long and continuing to receive those payments and what happens when those actuarial assumptions blow up. I think we're going to discover that the money that you were expecting for life isn't going to be there. And this is not just true of annuities, but it's equally true of pension funds and social security. This is a crisis. Uh, And my argument at that event, as you well know, to the insurance CEOs was build a product that works 
for today's longevity. And instead of effectively delving into ways we can solve this coming crisis, there was instead a big argument. Number one, they refused to even talk about it. It was two o'clock in the afternoon. We began at eight that morning. It was two o'clock in the afternoon before I finally got so fed up that I demanded they start talking about it. And all they did was justify and rationalize why their current products are sufficient. Yeah, literally everything, the whole thing came to a stop you stopped the whole thing and said, nope, we're done. And then we had the runaround for the next hour and a half. Yeah. Yeah. It was unfortunate. Uh, there was a circle lot wagons mentality among the annuity companies. And I get their point. They've sold a lot of product to a lot of people raising a lot of money. And they don't, I think, want to be in the position of having to admit that their products are going to fail 20 and 30 and 40 years from now. Well, the other thing, Rick, that frustrated me was they also didn't, and and this is another complaint people addressed, the way that annuities are sold fundamentally. People don't buy annuities, and they should be. If If the product can last, people should be asking for them. But instead, we have to thrust them upon people, and they have this whole structure of sales that needs to be dismantled as well. And I think that was... Michelle Singletary's whole MO was to try to get that through their heads, and they don't want to hear any of that either. Yeah, the big issue, I think you're exactly right, and so is Michelle, that the product themselves aren't necessarily bad. It's the way they're sold. Yeah. A lot of annuity sales reps are overly aggressive in touting the benefits and the promises of these products in a way that manipulates the buyers. I mean, let's face it, the person who buys an annuity is by definition a risk-averse person because these products come with words like guaranteed and lifetime, no loss from stock market risk. I mean, these are the kinds of words that you use to placate someone who doesn't like investment risk. But what they're not doing is talking about the risks that do exist the mortality risk, the longevity risk, the expenses, the tax risk, and so on. And so a lot of the concern that Michelle was raising and which you and I echoed was that the sales tactics are often abusive. And this is why the state regulators will tell you that annuity fraud is among their perennial top 10 list of of investment frauds in America. And so uh, they didn't want to hear that either at that event continues to put a pit in my stomach. You are here uh, with the Digital Assets Council of Financial Professionals and your podcast, The Truth About Your Future. I've been fascinated by your podcast. By the way, any podcast that can make Tupperware interesting, but but not for the right reasons. I'll let people listen to that episode. But I want to talk about some of the things, some of the modern money stuff that you talk about on The Truth About Your Future. Let's start off with this. What's your take on the future of central bank digital currency? Where do you think we're headed? Uh, we're headed toward it. And uh, I talk about it a lot on my podcast, yeah. um, uh, The Truth About Your Future, which is um, the successor to my radio show. I've been hosting radio for 32 years. And this year, I converted my radio show, which was once a week, into now a daily podcast, uh, The Truth About Your Future. And it's in the top 1% of podcasts already. We're, I'm very excited. It's doing so well. Uh, great More production than that, team. Rick, you look like you're having fun. It just seems Are like you- you're having a good time. It is. It is fun to talk about these topics. They're intellectually interesting, and they are of a huge impact to a great many people, and it is fun to do. And I'm at the stage of life, if it ain't fun, I ain't doing it. That's kind of my metric now of whether I'm going to accept an invitation or do anything, and that's why I said yes to you, Joe, because this is fun. Yeah, thanks, man. Uh, But if it ain't fun, I ain't doing it. And 
CBDCs are something I talk about a lot on the show because this is one of the big innovations that's coming in this decade. A CBDC, it's in short, I'll refer to it as a digital dollar. Right now, our dollars are paper. There aren't very many businesses today or industries that operate on pen and paper, and yet dollars are one of them. We have the government printing dollars and then distributing them by armored vehicle to banks around the country who stuff them into ATMs where you have to go to physically get the cash. This is nuts. In a digital world, why are we playing with paper money? We're using credit cards and debit cards and PayPal and Venmo and Zelle. Why are we still printing money? And so there's a movement to move toward digital dollars. They're called CBDCs, Central Bank Digital Currency, issued by our central bank, the Federal Reserve, and they will simply have a digital version of dollars. And they will be the same as the paper dollars, except instead of having the dollar bills in your pocket, they'll be in your digital wallet in your smartphone. This makes a total amount of sense. It's a lot cheaper. It's a lot safer. It, it is available 24-7. The government loves this because it not only saves the money, it's a wonderful way to thwart terrorist financing and drug cartel financing. It's a way to beat tax evaders. The IRS loves this. The Department of Justice, the FBI, even the, the Defense Department love digital money. And so do governments around the world. Every government around the world is exploring the development of digital money. Seven have already launched their digital currencies, including, most ominously, China. And this is why we've got to get in a big hurry. The Fed is working hard about this. A good friend of mine, Sunaina Tutasia, is the Fed's chief innovation officer, and she is uh, heading this effort to figure out how to do this. By the end of the decade, our Fed, every central bank, will be launching digital dollars, digital money, digital currencies in their home nation. And by the same token, I've seen you recently on a couple other shows. You also, I believe, and tell me if I'm wrong here, that there still is room for crypto and crypto growth and use of crypto. Tell me, because it seems like digital currency, central bank digital currency, one thing, how is there still room for crypto and digital to live in harmony? Well, you have paper dollars today and you have stocks. So why would a digital dollar interfere with stocks? It won't. Currency is one thing. Assets are another. You buy currency because you need a store of value. You need liquidity. You need to be able to transfer money to another individual or company through payments. And then you have the stock market, the bond market, the real estate market, the gold market, the crypto market. These are assets that people buy because they believe they will generate income or they will grow in value, usually a combination of the two. Like think of real estate, you get rental income and the property rises. Stock market, stocks grow, they also pay dividends. So the fact that the Fed will create a digital dollar is confirmation of the legitimacy of this technology. That will increase, I believe, interest level and engagement in Bitcoin and other digital assets like NFTs and, and more. So it's not a question of either or. One doesn't eliminate the other. One supports and justifies the use of the other. Do we have to see, though, the government get more involved uh, with the oversight of NFTs? Because the problem that we saw in the last couple of years, Rick, as you know better than most, is not that NFTs are bad or that the or that the technology doesn't help. Certainly, there's so many use cases for the technology 
but it looks like some of these bros that created the technology have been cheating on us and are just making it their own little personal cash register. Well, I don't know if they've been cheating. I think they've been exploiting the get-rich-quick mentality. (laughs) I think they've been taking advantage of the stupidity of a lot of people. Uh, And that's true in any asset class. I mean, you've got penny stocks in the stock market. You've got pink sheet stocks. You wouldn't compare them to the S&P 500. And it's true in digital. So you've got the underlying technology, which is doing really cool, amazing things. And then you've got some aggressive marketers and promoters who are exploiting that tech to make a quick buck for themselves. Well, you know, if you're going to fall victim to that get rich quick mentality, you know, you can't fix stupid. So there's not a lot I can do to protect you if you're going to fall for that. I have a friend who's also my primary care doctor who has that uh, on his desk. Literally, it says, I can't cure stupid. (laughs) Right, right on the front of his desk. When do we get to the point, Rick, that grandma can think about buying crypto? Oh, we're already there. Uh, I mean, if grandma already has a diversified portfolio, crypto is just another asset class. If you believe in diversification, if you believe in modern portfolio theory, if you believe in the efficient frontier, then you acknowledge that you need to have as many asset classes as you possibly can because different asset classes perform differently at different times. That allows for uh, portfolio rebalancing and it allows for tax loss harvesting and dollar cost averaging. So if you believe in that and you're already doing that with your portfolio, then you want to be as diversified as possible. Crypto is the first new asset class in 170 years. Why would you not want to add it to your portfolio? Based on the screen behind you, for people not watching on video, Rick has a screen about the Digital Assets Council of Financial Professionals. I want to ask you this last question, Rick, which is, it must bother you, certainly bothers me, that so few financial advisors are still talking about modern money or or their client brings to them the issue of modern money. And yeah, uh, tell me where you're going with that. Because clearly you have an agenda to hopefully make us smarter as a group of advisors. Yeah, I created DACFP, the Digital Assets Council of Financial Professionals at DACFP.com as a crypto education company. That's all we do. We don't manage money. We're not running funds or whatever. We, we simply teach financial advisors and investors about digital assets because since it is a new asset class, nobody has any experience with it. Uh, and that's a big missed opportunity as a result. Today, it's a really tale of two cities. Uh, half of the nation's financial advisors personally own Bitcoin. And yet, only about 10% are recommending it to clients. That's a huge disconnect. The reason that advisors are not recommending this to clients, most commonly, their firms won't let them because their firms aren't sure what the regulations are. They don't know what they're allowed to do or how to go about it. Uh, And so we teach compliance offices and we teach the risk management teams, the investment committees, the sales and marketing teams at firms, how you can engage in crypto in a compliant, safe way that is consistent with your firm's culture. And people are often shocked at how easy it is to do this, that it doesn't raise the ire of the SEC or FINRA, that there are ways you can go about this that are completely in sync with how you manage the rest of a client's assets. So the first thing we do is help advisors realize this is something you can talk about with clients. And second, 
This is something you should be talking about. Why? Because 22% of U.S. adults own Bitcoin, which means a lot of your clients own it. And they did it without you because they didn't think you would help them. And you need to help them because if they are left to their own devices, they will get themselves in trouble. They'll get caught up in those get-rich-quick schemes. They'll use the faulty platforms. They'll get involved in fraud and abuse. You can protect them as an advisor. But if you're silent about it, you're not doing them any good. You're also not doing yourself any good. So our mission is not really to champion Bitcoin. It's to champion education. Because once you understand how this works, you can figure out what you ought to be saying to your clients and how you can best help and protect them. For stackers who are advisors, we'll link to DACFP on our show notes page at stackybenjamins.com. For everybody else, go listen to The Truth About Your Future. I've been uh, binging it. And uh, again, Tupperware, a very interesting story about long-term care, by the way, and the way you do this magic of weaving in these stories into our own personal uh, financial planning is it's just it's amazing rick watching the way you work i appreciate that a lot joe and, and you know the podcast it's every day but it's only three or five minutes it's a real quick easy listen uh we've got great interviews every friday in long form uh and so i really encourage you to, to go to the truth about your future get it wherever you get your podcasts yeah, please do. And thank you again, Rick, for helping so many of our stackers uh, get their financial planning in order over the years. You certainly helped a lot with mine. Just love your work. Thank you, Joe. Feelings mutual. Thanks for having me again. Hey, this is John in Seattle. And when I'm not telling terrible dad jokes to anyone who will listen, I'm stacking Benjamins. Big thanks to Rick. Good to see Rick again, OG. Uh, his take on annuities. How about that? Sadly, the annuity industry... I wasn't surprised by that answer, were you? Well, no, I just saw an investment news a week ago, maybe, maybe two weeks ago. There's a big headline piece about annuities and the uh, massive year over year growth in fixed indexed annuity purchases, which we've talked about a lot here as it relates to quite often that benefits the annuity company and the annuity salesperson a heck of a lot more than it benefits the annuity purchaser. And some of them, depending on, you know, how slimy you want to get are 10 or more percent of your premium, your, your, of your deposit goes to the sales guy. And the, the only way to solve this problem is to take away the financial incentive. If you're looking at two separate things and you've got a mortgage payment due, and one of those things is going to pay you a thousand bucks. And one of those things is going to pay you 11,000 bucks. It's very difficult. It's very difficult to choose the one that's a thousand. And we talk about conflict, being an advisor and trying to be conflict free. And almost all of that conflict stuff boils down to compensation. Almost all of it exclusively. So it's if so you can level the playing field on comp, then you'll level the playing field on product, which is, I think his point is make it pay the same. And then the annuity folks will have to compete with all the rest of the world in terms of wallet share, you know, they're, they're, they're not going to have the arrow in the quiver, so to speak of, but we pay 10%, you know, like we don't have to do anything because, because you slimy sales guys are going to go out there and sell it for us. So we don't have to innovate. We don't have to do anything different versus every other company is continuing to compete for your investment dollar. So anyways. Yeah. You just feel like annuities if people truly, let's say that annuities did what they said they were 
supposed to do, which, you know, initially before all these bells and whistles that do a bunch of stuff that people don't need, annuities protect people from outliving their cash. I mean, imagine the number of people that would actually need that product and would buy it. There's this whole portion of the market that won't buy an annuity just because of the way that annuities because it's are the sold. word annuity. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm, I just feel like we need to, I don't know, we need to do a better job. I was sad to hear that it hasn't changed, but you and I are not surprised by that. Hey, let's throw out the Haven Lifeline and tackle some of life's most important questions. Our friends at Haven Life Insurance Agency, Doug, they put what you value first this post-holiday week. Buy Zine. Oh, yes. Yeah. yeah. The cottonwoods are blowing. Cash it's bite like too it's, hard. Oh. It's like... <laughs> Too much Coke, OG. I just can't keep my nose out of the flower. Too much Coca-Cola? Coca-Cola. No, it's like it's snowing here again. The Cottonwoods have just completely released all of that they've got, and it's unbelievable. Yeah, It's your loved ones and your time, but when you can actually open your eyes and see your loved ones while you spend time with them, that's even better. It's why they made body quality term life insurance actually simple. You go to stackybenjamins.com slash havenlife now. You'll find they've streamlined the application process. No waiting several weeks for a decision. Really lovely customer support. Robust online life insurance calculator for people who aren't sure how much they need. Stackingbenjamins.com slash Haven Life gets you there. Get that done. Hold on. Pause. Does it say lovely in the script when you say lovely customer support? Or is that, are you choosing that word? Because that does not sound like you. I, uh, I choose that word. I love that word. That is a, it's a wonderful word. Lovely. Beautiful. Lovely customer support. It's like we're in Britain. Lovely. How was your evening? Oh, it was lovely. Customer support. You know, it's always lovely when we get a call from James. Hey, James. Okay, guys, I have a question. This question does not necessarily pertain to me today as it's something from my past, but I thought the answer might have some broad sweeping ramifications to some of your current listeners today that may be considering semi-retirement. So here it goes. About five or six years ago, I was director of finance for my company. I approached my boss to cutting back to three days a week. And after a bit of consideration, he agreed. And that I would retain my title as director, which is an exempt position. Now comes the talk with the director of HR. The director of HR said that one of the managers in their department was arguing that since I would only be working 24 hours a week, that I would not be eligible for health insurance benefits. I argued that I was still an exempt employee and that I would still be covered. Anyway, I had a good relationship with the HR director, and they sided with me, and I kept my health insurance benefits. My question is, was the company technically upside down and in violation of their benefit policy? I viewed the situation as very gray at the time, but since it went my way, I was okay with that. <laughs> Love to hear your opinion, and I want a T-shirt, so I finally called in. Thanks for your help. <laughs> Easiest way to get a shirt and to answer some uh, some nagging questions. This is a an interesting one, OG. There are times when maybe people give you the benefit of the doubt because you're easy to work with, you're a person that they like. However, were they... Uh, that really doesn't happen to me. Were, no, never. Were they, were, were they, were they, were they violating... I'm not easy any, to work with. <laughs> were, they, were, they, were they violating any rules? That's a really good question. I'm not an employment benefits lawyer... But I do know that we have to, for our group benefits, for our work, we have to kind of put that into a box, you know, and we try to be as 
as gentle with that as possible, right? As broad brushstroke of this is what full-time means. This is what qualifies for being in service and that sort of thing. But I do remember there being some limitations on it, you know, like you had, you know, you had to work this many hours over this period of time or something like that. I don't know the difference between exempt and non-exempt. I know there's something in there about overtime and stuff, but, um, yeah, I mean, again, since it benefited you, I don't know that I would be going back to the, going back to the company going, I think, uh, I screwed you guys out of some money here. You should probably come collect it from me or something. You know, I don't know that I would do that. But some of those things, I think maybe that's his point, is that some of those things you have to be aware of when you, you know, when you make changes in your life. If you go to part-time or you want to go to a virtual-only position or something that's going to have a different schedule, that there may be some other factors that go with it, right? Your 401k matching may be changed. Your profit-sharing numbers may be changed. And and certainly in this case, like he was talking about, potentially your your group benefits and and not because they don't want them to provide them to you, but because yeah. they have a legal document that they have a plan. It's just, I think what people don't understand is that, you know, when you create a 401k plan, right, there's all these documents, you know, there's a summary description of the plan and here's all the funds that go in it. And there's a trustee of the plan. And then there's insurance on that. Like there's, it's a big operation, right? Which it should be. Maybe it's a little overkill because of bureaucracy, but, but there's, you know, there's some importance about getting that right. The same thing is true for all your other plans too. You don't see that. You don't see like when you go to do your health plan, there's a big stack of documents that go behind that. You go, I want to pick the Blue Cross plan with this deductible. But on the HR side, there's a whole binder full of crap that goes, here's all the rules about us putting this plan in place. No different than if they have a PTO plan or vacation policy or here are company holidays. It has to be written down. So there are some unintended consequences, I think, of having those conversations, which which is, I think, what his point was. And the rules are the rules are designed so people get consistent benefit. You and I, if we work at the same company, we have there's some consistency in the benefits. And, you know, the manager's not going, well, James, because I like you, A, and person on the other side gets uh, thing, thing B. Well, Joe, let me step in there a little bit. I don't, I'm also not an expert on this, but I've have kind of crossed this bridge once or twice in the past. And I'll say that OG was on the right track. The exempt classification is really pertaining only to the FLSA, Federal Labor Fair Labor Standards Act, um, and it has to do with overtime pay. And so, you know, if your company has to classify you correctly, so if you work less than 40 hours, you fall under that FLSA. And if they don't classify their employees correctly, there are all kinds of penalties they can accrue if they don't do it right, according to the law. But employer employers can choose to offer non-exempt employees benefits if they want to. And they can there aren't any state rules for the most part. A couple of states have some rules around that, but for the most part, they can do whatever the heck they want. They run the risk of really pissing off other employees who may find out that James is getting benefits and they, then they're not. But I don't think there's any federal level rules around whether or not they can offer benefits. No, but or it's not. still the plan. Like it's it's no different than the 401k plan. Like when you put the plan in place, the administrators say, okay, well, how many hours a year do you have to work to be eligible for the match? And the trustees or the people thinking up the plan go, I don't know. I mean, what does everybody else do? And they go, well, most people say you have to work a thousand hours. Oh, okay. Well, I'll put a thousand hours. That, that's, that, they're not doing that to say, well, I, 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 want, I want Bill to get some and Tom to not get some. Now, if Tom goes, hey, I, I want to drop down my hours to 800, I think 
if you're being responsible, kind of forthright business owner, you would say like, hey, dude, if you go from 1500 hours down to 800, you're not eligible for the match. Not because I don't want to give it to you, but way back when, when I created this darn thing, we just had to pick a number and that's the number we picked to prevent, you know, the 16 year old who's mowing grass from getting the thing yeah, only a couple but, times a week. But I'll come back to your, your statement of to be forthright and fair, but there is no rule stating they can't. If they, if their benefits comp administrative company can allow it and their systems will allow it, they can put, you know, retired people who used to work for the company and they want to continue giving them benefits as one of their retirement benefits, not working any hours, they can still get benefits. There's no federal. No, absolutely. Rule. But they can't exclude yeah. that, that class. Of, they can't give it to you and not to the other person who's retired. Not in good conscience. No, I think no, you, you, you can't, you would have an issue with that. Okay. Bet you somebody's going to write in Man, and correct well, us. Hope yeah. they do. Yeah, do it. it. Means they're listening. Yeah. Good question, James. If you've got a question for the Haven Lifeline, head to stackybenjamins.com slash voicemail, and that that will lead you to the path to asking your question here on air. And you can show that to all your friends, brag to them that we answered your question on the Stacking Benjamin Show, and they will be just amazed. It's incredible. I know when people go, guess what happened to me today? I got my question answered. On stacking benjamins, it's a thing. I'm going to say it again, Joe. We I think we need to require if you're getting a free T-shirt out of the deal and you're becoming famous because you're on air with us and you're now the envy of all of your friends and neighbors. Post a damn photo online of your shirt. You don't even have to be in it. If you're worried about how amazing your pecs look in our T-shirt or whatever, you don't have to be in it. But post a photo and say, "Look what I got." I got my swag for asking yeah. a question. Yeah. Is that a lot to ask? I don't I don't think so. By the way, uh, I think this is also a good segment for community involvement, too. If we've got some HR people out there that want to weigh in on, on James' question as well. Yes. Uh, would be great. Hey, uh, that's going to do it for today. Big stuff on the community calendar. I will be tomorrow on Instagram. I'll be on the gram with Miss Be Helpful. She is a Miami-based creator and big financial influencer, and she and I are going to be chatting all things money. She has a new book coming out, and we will be chatting about themes from her book on Instagram, 5 p.m. Eastern, 2 p.m. Pacific. Tomorrow, follow Stacky Benjamin's podcast on Instagram. In fact, you know, we had that early interview today with Charlie Wise that appeared on Fireside and on YouTube. If you want to know all the channels, stackingbenjamins.com slash welcome, our welcome guide leads you to all of those. Uh, if you're not here because you want to hang out with us on Instagram, you're here because you are worried that you're not making great financial decisions and stepping in it either with your credit or with annuities or <laughs> one of the things we talked about today, or maybe something we didn't talk about. OG and his team are taking new clients. So head to stackingbenjamins.com slash OG. That'll lead you to OG and his team's calendar, and then you too can set up a meeting with OG to see if you can make better decisions in the future and move your financial picture in the right direction. Stackybenjamins.com slash OG. All right, that is it for today. Coming up on Friday, we've got a big episode, Paulette Perhatch's last episode on the Stacking Benjamin Show as a regular contributor. I'm sure she'll be back again in the future, but she filled in all year for Paula Pant while she was finishing a master's in journalism at Columbia. 
Paula returns in two weeks. So this week we're going to have some fun with Paulette Perhatch, but also special guest Al Martinez from the Simplify and Enjoy podcast, talking minimalism and doing more with less. All right. That's it for today. Doug, you got it from here, man. What should we have learned today? Well, Joe, first, take some advice from one of America's financial gurus and prepare your finances for the future. Second, beware of creeping credit balances. The research shows it's a problem for many. But the big lesson, you got to play big people so nobody steals your thunder. If Todd wants to mess with the bull, he's going to get the, 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 the tiger's tail or something like that. There's only room for one El Camino in T-Town, Todd. Thanks to Rick for joining us today. You can find out more about his new podcast, The Truth About Your Future with Rick Edelman, wherever you're listening to me right now. We'll also include links in our show notes at stackingbenjamins.com. This show is the property of SB Podcasts, LLC, copyright 2023, and is created by Joe Salcihat. Our producer is Karen Repine. This show was written by Lacey Langford, who's also the host of the Military Money Show, with help from me, Joe, and Doc G from the Earn and Invest podcast. Kevin Bailey helps us take a deeper dive into all the topics covered on each episode in our newsletter called The 201. You'll find the 411 on all things money at The 201. Just visit stackingbenjamins.com slash 201. Tina Eichenberg makes the video version of this show. Once we bottle up all this goodness, we ship it to our engineer, the amazing Steve Stewart. Steve helps the rest of our team sound nearly as good as I do right now. Want to chat with friends about the show later? Mom's friend Gertrude and Kate Yunkin are our social media coordinators, and Gertrude is the room mother in our Facebook group called The Basement. So say hello when you see us posting online. To join all the basement fun with other stackers, type stackingbenjamins.com slash basement. Not only should you not take advice from these nerds, don't take advice from people you don't know. This show is for entertainment purposes only. Before making any financial decisions, speak with a real financial advisor. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug, and we'll see you next time back here at the Stacking Benjamin Show. Welcome to the after show. If you're new here, uh, this is the part of the show that doesn't exist. We don't talk about the after show. We've had people violate that before when they do. Uh, we just ask, okay, okay, just if you have to, then call it dessert. All right. We've got a big event coming up that I know you guys uh, have both been interested in the past. Uh, all trails lead to Williamsport, Pennsylvania, 
where the Little League World Series is coming up shortly, like we're getting to that time of year, which is why we're increasingly seeing videos of parents getting angry because their 11-year-old, who they think is the world champion of the universe, is not being treated right by the refs. But I saw this video, which is announcing a lineup for the World Series, and I think I think this is pretty much where it is. Let's listen to this team that's going to be competing in this year's Little League World Series. Madison, I'm 11. My favorite color is blue, and my favorite player is Ryan Braun. What's up? My name is Ryan McGaffey. I'm 11 years old. My favorite show is Mad Men. My favorite player is Ken Griffey Jr. Hi, my name's Cody Grammer. I am 13 years old. My favorite food is hot dogs, and my favorite player is John Carlos Stanton. Yo, what up? I'm Ron Abrams. I'm 11 years old. My favorite food is lobster, and my favorite player is Mark McGuire. My favorite player is Mark McGuire. By the way, what you can't see is on the video for those two dudes, they got to move the camera up. <laughs> I love how they're old enough. They're all old enough to know players from the 90s, right? Yeah. I'm 11 yeah, years old. My so. favorite player is some dude from the 90s that yeah. the other kids haven't heard of. That's good. That's wow. Funny. Well done, internet. Well done. Yeah. I love the coach that goes to do mound visits of little kid, you know, little pitchers who are struggling and oh, he'll just horrible. say some of the, the awful things. Hey, uh, Vinny, I know your mom and dad probably told you you could be anything you want in life, but I'm pretty sure they didn't say you could be the worst pitcher in Little League history. But you are. <laughs> it's just horrible. I I've love seen it. some of those. Uh, well, Stackers, the show might be over, but the celebrations are just beginning because it is Military Appreciation Month that I want to celebrate people like my brother-in-law, Eric, who is such a giving person. Eric will do just anything for you. And as a Marine, you can see that his time in the military taught him to be a guy who gives to his community, gives to his family, and is always there when you need them. This Military Appreciation Month, Navy Federal Credit Union wants to celebrate members like Eric who go above and beyond. Navy Federal offers member-only exclusive rates, discounts, and tools to empower their members and help them reach their goals. Navy Federal's employees are part of the community they serve. Many of them are military family members, reservists, or veterans, and all branches of the military, veterans, DOD employees, and their families are eligible for Navy Federal membership. In fact, there are so many resources on the Navy Federal website, resources like Best Cities After Service to help veterans transition to civilian life, and best careers for military spouses to support military families. Visit NavyFederal.org slash celebrate, and you'll see all of their Military Appreciation Month offers and other Navy Federal offers. Navy Federal is insured by NCUA, Equal Housing Lender.